I know this past Friday, if you guys can remember a couple days ago, wasn't it great to get that rain? I mean, that was a wonderful rain. We were behind probably several inches of rain. Things were starting to get browned out. And it was just one of those all-day kind of rains that just, even though you don't like a rainy day, it was worth it for a rain like that. We really needed it. And as much as we needed it, though, there's nothing like the situation that the first New England settlers faced long time ago and what they were going through. We all know their story, right? They came here in that first year. They were able to enjoy a harvest um, that summer, and we remember that at Thanksgiving about that first year that God provided for them. But if you ask the pilgrims what was the most significant occasion for them, they might actually point to something that took place two years afterward in the summer of 1623. They experienced a horrific drought. They went over two months without any rain. The Native Americans said that this was the worst drought they had ever seen before. The crops were seriously threatened, which you can only imagine with a fledgling colony, if they didn't turn around, what would be the end of the colonists there. So in response to their situation, the settlers set apart a day to fast and to pray. And on that day, they held a prayer meeting. So let me read the account given by a gentleman by the name of Edward, Edward Winslow, who was actually the governor's assistant. He said these words, For though in the morning when we assembled together, the heavens were as clear and the drought as like to continue as it ever was, yet our exercise continuing some eight or nine hours. I'm assuming that means they were praying for eight or nine hours. Before our departure, the weather was overcast, the clouds gathered together on all sides, and on the next morning distilled such soft, sweet, and moderate showers of rain, continuing some 14 days, and mixed with such seasonable weather as it was hard to say whether our withered corn or our drooping affections were most quickened or revived. Such was the bounty and goodness of our God. Amazing, isn't it? Today we're going to talk about fasting. One of the least understood and one of the least practiced aspects of the Christian life. And this is unfortunate because fasting is one of the most powerful parts of the Christian life. We'll say, well, what is fasting? Well, fasting, friends, is withholding from some pleasure or activity for the purpose of seeking God more fervently. Let me just say that again. Fasting is withholding from some pleasure or activity for the purpose of seeking God more fervently. So fasting isn't just not eating, okay? It's not a diet plan, though you might lose a little bit of weight along the way. The purpose is not to go on a diet. Going without food is not the same as fasting. An atheist can go without food. But with fasting, there's a denial of self and a concerted effort to seek God more fervently. Now, strictly speaking, just to make this point as well, Fasting is not a biblical commandment of God as much as it is an expectation. It's not a clear-cut, thou shall not, or thou shalt, but it is an expectation 
that God's people will fast. Why do I say that? Well, in Matthew 6, 16 to 18, Jesus says, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their award. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So in the context here, Jesus was pointing out how the religious leaders liked to make a show of when they fasted. So everybody knew they were fasting and that they were holy, righteous people. And Jesus kind of calls them out about their, the way they fasted. But notice that Jesus doesn't imply that we should not fast at all. Rather, he's implying that we should fast, that it's an expectation that he fasts. He says, when you fast, right? He not say if you fast, he says when you fast. And I don't think he would give these detailed instructions about what to do and not to do when you fast if there was no expectation that we would fast at all, right? Seems like kind of wasted words, but I don't think Jesus is about wasting words. So I think you see an expectation that we'll fast, and also you see just the prevalence of it in Scripture. Listen to some of these great heroes of the faith who all fasted in different ways. Moses, David, Elijah, Daniel, Nehemiah, Ezra, Esther, Anna, the prophetess, and Jesus. And of course, that's just who are recorded in the Bible. I'm sure that if we learned the secret lives about Joshua and Mary and other people who it doesn't talk about, we would see that they fasted and prayed as well. Then if you would also look through the pages of church history, you're going to see towering figures who practice fasting. Jonathan Edwards, Matthew Henry, John Wesley. Friends, I think it's helpful to remember that anytime we see this kind of prevalence in the pages of Scripture, in the pages of church history, of a discipline that God's people practice, and especially the great heroes of the faith, shouldn't we stop and pay attention to that? That maybe this is something that we should be doing as well. So if fasting is an expectation, which I believe it is, it is because God has a purpose for us in it. And I believe actually God has numerous purposes when it comes to fasting. But this morning, I just want to talk about two purposes for fasting. The first purpose of fasting is spiritual renewal. Spiritual renewal. You say, well, why do we need renewal? Well, I don't know about you, but I feel like I always need renewal, you know? There's just a constant ebb and flow of the Christian life, and I'm in need of renewal because there are things that happen that disrupt our relationship with God and can really hamper that relationship with God, and fasting can bring renewal in your lives. For example, here's something that affects people. Fasting, I think, can bring healing from life's sorrows. Everyone experiences deep personal, difficult circumstances that can greatly affect your relationship with God. So many times, people get knocked off the track of following Christ because they go through a trial or difficulty or circumstance and they grow disenfranchised or disheartened with God and instead of giving over that hurt and that pain to God, they just sort of weather it on their own. But that is not what God would have us to do. 
And you look in the pages of Scripture how fasting is used by the people of God in their means of working through and overcoming these deep sorrows and griefs that we go through in life. For example, in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verses 11-12, to 12, Israel was absolutely decimated in battle. Do you remember this story where King Saul, his son Jonathan, the nation was wiped out, the Ark of the Covenant was taken away? I mean, the nation was absolutely decimated. And, but it says how David responded. It says, David took hold of his clothes and tore them, and so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. You look at other great heroes like Daniel and Ezra. They saw the, the decimation of their people a little bit later in Israel's life. They saw the exile, the things that they were going through. They saw the sin and the idolatry of their people. And how did they handle all that? Well, they expressed their brokenness through fasting. And I really believe that fasting is a means of humbling ourselves so that God can lift us up. God can lift us up. And fasting is a way also of kind of bringing to light things that we never really release over to God. I think it's our custom, in a sense, to, to walk through these things, and we just sort of weather it, we just sort of you know, endure, and we don't really deal with these things that happen to us. might be physical pain, verbal pain, disappointment with, with God, with others, but instead of dealing with it, we kind of bottle it up and just sort of say, I'm going to deal with it on my own because I'm strong or I can take care of this. Or, even worse, we just kind of grow numb and apathetic to God. And I think God would have us to humble ourselves before the great physician so that He can raise us up and heal those things in our lives. Remember some years ago when I was fasting on this occasion, God relayed, uh, laid on my heart a relationship in the past where I needed to ask for forgiveness. Now, I, I believe I had apologized for this situation in the past, but it just was hanging around. I, for some reason, I don't think I'd really given it over to the Lord. And I remember the Lord just put it on my heart to go and write that person a, a, a note and to ask for forgiveness again. again. And just having this deep sense of sorrow for what I had done, a really deep kind of brokenness, a weep. Have you ever had that before? Where you're not only just kind of crying, I mean, it just, there's this existential pain coming out of you. And I needed that, to be healed of that. And I wrote the note, but you know what? Once I'd written that note, it didn't even matter what they said to me. I mean, it mattered, but what really mattered was that I had given this over to the Lord. I had been freed from that. And I got up and walked away in peace. The Lord healed it because I was in the midst of that. He revealed that to me that I needed to give that over. It was still bothering me. It was still plaguing me in some way. So fasting can bring healing from life's sorrows. It can also bring victory over sin. All of us have sins that we would like to gain more victory over in life, right? Things that we do. Sins of commission, right? Whether it's anger or gluttony or selfishness and so on. Maybe it's sins of omission where we don't really share our faith like we'd like to or neglect the Word of God, neglecting our roles as a husband or a godly wife or a father, worker, citizen, whatever. So how do we gain victory? Well, I think part of it, very 
simply is to realize the severity of sin. Just like we do with the hurts in our lives, I think we kind of grow apathetic. We just sort of go through the motions and we sin, and we just say, oh, well, Jesus forgives us of that. Oh, that's okay. I'm forgiven. I'm going to heaven. And we don't really see victory over that. We don't see the severity of it. We grow numb and apathetic. Fasting can kind of bring that stuff to light. And we see it for what it is, how God really sees it. And that changes how we view the sin. Most people probably have heard of Kirby vacuum cleaners. You ever heard of Kirby vacuum cleaners? They've been making vacuums for over 100 years. And one of the kind of traits of the Kirby vacuum business is that they want to come and do an in-home demonstration. They come and they bring their vacuum and they show you on your carpet or wherever. They will put it and they will show you what it's like. All right. Now, the thing that is the catch for them, the thing that will suck you in, bad pun, is that you think generally your carpet's okay, right? It doesn't have this huge stain or whatever. It's okay. It's all right. Maybe it isn't the greatest. Maybe a little dirt, but not too bad. So you think, I'm all right. Well, they break out their Kirby vacuum cleaner, and I've never actually had it done in my house, but I remember speaking with someone who did. And when they actually get that vacuum cleaner and start cleaning your carpet, it is a real eye-opener what is actually in your carpet. I remember one guy said it was basically borderline disgusting <laughs> what came out, and they showed that. And so you go from this situation of saying, oh, my carpet's pretty good, no major stains, to all of a sudden going, wow, maybe I really need to buy this Kirby vacuum because I see it. I see the severity of the dirt and how much it is stockpiled in my carpet. And I think our hearts are kind of like that, just like with the carpet... We don't see anything horribly wrong. I haven't killed anybody. Or, you know, I, I, I pay my taxes and I go to work and I'm not doing all these things. But what God wants us to really understand is that we don't even really know our own hearts, do we? The Apostle Paul, the great, great apostle, said, I don't even know myself. Our hearts are so complex, they're filled with these conflicting thoughts, and, and oftentimes we don't like to dig where we know we might find that dirt there, do we? Much easier to focus on something we're doing great than to focus on something that God would have us to deal with. And so that dirt builds up and we don't even really know it, or maybe we better say we don't even want to know it, and so we kind of cling to our sin, we cover it up, we justify it, we blame others and so forth. But yet we're in desperate need of a cleansing experience that comes from God. And I really believe that fasting brings that to light. It helps us to see sin for what it really is and then motivates us to want to repent. So we go from saying, okay, my heart's not that bad and there's other people that are worse than saying, Wow, what is in there? Lord, I want to become more like Christ, and I want to, I'm motivated for you to come and clean this thing out. Fasting is a powerful means of spiritual renewal. And in His providence, God has also ordained a second purpose, that fasting is a means for powerful prayer. Powerful prayer. You know, prayer is always powerful. 
but fasting multiplies its strength. And when you look in the pages of Scripture, it's so encouraging to see how when God's people humble themselves and they fast and pray, God brings answers that are just absolutely stunning and amazing. Second Chronicles chapter 20, Judah's enemies, the Moabites and Ammonites, came against them in battle. King Jehoshaphat proclaimed a fast throughout Judah, and God delivered them from their enemies. Incredible. 1 Samuel 1, a woman named Hannah was barren. She fasted and prayed for a child, and the Lord answered her. She gave birth to Samuel, who turned out to be a great prophet and leader in the nation of Israel, and other children as well. Daniel 6, remember the story. Daniel was falsely thrown into the lion's den. King, King Darius fasted that night for his deliverance. Daniel lived. Esther 9, remember that story? How the Jews were being falsely accused there in Persia, and an edict had come out that said, we're going to wipe out all the Jews, and a king could not reverse his edict. Well, Queen Esther gathered the other Jews there, and they fasted and prayed for three days. God protected the people there and actually destroyed Haman, who was the false accuser of the people there. In Ezra 8, the Israelites, they got, uh, they, the exiles, were going to return back to their homeland. And so they prayed for protection. You say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, friends, this wasn't just a, a journey where you get in the car and go for a couple of, of hours or something. This was 500 miles as the crow would fly, but the actual, by the time you do all the detours and the routes they would take, it was almost double that. Can you imagine a thousand miles riding a camel or walking along or something like that? This would have taken a very long time. Plus, they had no means of protection. There was no army. So they were at the mercy of robbers and raiders who could come and take their stuff. And so they fasted and prayed that God would bring them safely all the way back to Jerusalem. And you know what happened? God did exactly that. In the New Testament, Jesus fasted and prayed for 40 days in the wilderness and was able to withstand the full onslaught of Satan's temptations that wanted to derail his messianic mission. In Acts 13, the church in Antioch was fasting and praying, and then God told them, I want you to set apart, set apart Saul and Barnabas to go on a mission trip to the Gentiles. And they did. Aren't you glad they fasted and prayed? We may not be sitting here. Most of us, I'm assuming, are Gentile Christians. I came through fasting and prayer. And it didn't just end in the New Testament period, but fasting and powerful prayer has continued throughout church history. Let me give you a, an example, kind of again with a local flavor here. In 1662, King Charles II of England threatened to take away the Massachusetts Charter if the colony refused to regulate or to replace their ministers with Episcopal clergy. When the colony voted unanimously not to comply, the king flew into a rage and vowed to send a man named Colonel Percy, quote, Bloody Kirk, and 5,000 troops to crush the opposition. You didn't really want Bloody Kirk to be coming your way. Well, when Increase Mather, who was a leading pastor there, heard the news, he went and shut himself up in his study and spent the day on his knees fasting and praying about the colony's plight. And while he was fasting and praying, his heaviness lifted and it was replaced by a sense of peace and joy. Word arrived several months later, they didn't have Instagram and Facebook and all those things, several months later, 
he heard that Charles II had died of a stroke. His brother, James II, had taken his place, and Bloody Kirk would not be coming. The death of Charles II was traced back to the very day that the pastor was fasting and praying. God brought a deliverance to those people because people fasted and prayed. Now, it's not the case that God just somehow automatically responds to fasting. If you're just going to, oh, if you fast, God automatically says yes. That's not what happens. God is still sovereign, amen? But what does happen is that fasting stirs in us a heightened focus and intimacy with God. There's a greater fervency, a greater passion, a greater commitment to pray. In other words, I think what really happens is that fasting causes us to pray the way we normally should pray, right? A sense of brokenness, a sense of dependence, a sense of real zeal when we pray. A sense of putting God first and foremost in our hearts. J.I. Packer writes, It is helpful to think of the parallel of human friendship. When friends need to be together, they will cancel all other activities in order to make that possible. There's nothing magical about fasting. It's just one way of telling God that your priority at that moment is to be alone with Him, sorting out whatever is necessary, and you have canceled the meal, party, concert, or whatever else you had planned to, to do in order to fulfill that priority. So fasting is just making God supreme in your life in a very real and tangible way. And then on God's end, He wants, us, he wants to see this. It matters to Him. It's not because He somehow wants to torture you, but it demonstrates that you're taking Him seriously and He has designed fasting for God's way for us to approach Him. He designed it that way. It's not a human contrivance to twist God's arm. No, it's God's means of drawing close to Him. Donald Whitney writes, God is always pleased to hear the prayers of His people, but He is also pleased when we choose to enhance our prayers in a way that He Himself ordained. And what's such an encouragement is that God will respond to His people when they approach Him with this kind of devotion. Remember Jesus' words we read just a little while ago, Matthew 6.18? Let me read it again. When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And listen to this. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Will reward you. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. Forever would draw near to God, must believe that He exists, and that He rewards those who seek Him. Friends, we're not told how God will reward or when He will reward, but we can count on the fact that He will reward and bless us when we come to Him with this kind of focused attention and prayer that comes through fasting. Do you believe that? I believe that's what the Word of God teaches let me, t- let me close out here with just a couple of questions that might come up about fasting. First, how often? Well, Scripture never says. And it does that for a reason. Because I think if God gave us a rule, He knows how we would respond. We would either fall into the danger of seeing it as a checklist. Okay, I fasted whatever amount of times. Okay, check. Or it would be, it'd be a duty, right? Or it would be a, a, a badge of honor. 
oh, I, I fast a lot more than this guy over here and that lady over there. Boy, I'm really great, aren't I? Isn't that kind of what the Pharisees did? They fasted two days a week and actually Jesus condemned them for their motives. So the frequency of fasting is between you and God. Second question, how long? Well, again, the Bible doesn't say, probably for a good reason. And so you see all kinds of different lengths of fast in the Bible. Darius, he fasted one night. Hannah, like we mentioned earlier, she fasted one day. Paul and Esther, three days. David, seven days. Daniel, 21 days. Moses, Elijah, Jesus, 40 days. So the duration is between you and God. Third, what type of fast? Now there's variety when it comes to the lengths of fast. But in most cases, when you read in Scripture, the type of fast is pretty uniform. Abstaining from food. And I think it's important that we try to follow the pattern of Scripture as much as possible. I think food is the predominant pattern you see in Scripture because nothing will make you realize your humility and your dependence upon God than food. You go a few hours without food and all of a sudden you realize, I really need food to live. I really need food to carry on my normal activities. Man, I am a needy creature, aren't I? Now, in one instance, Scripture speaks of a modified food fast where Daniel, he doesn't cut out food altogether, but he cuts out the delicacies. He was in the king's court and he ate apparently very well. And so for 21 days, he cut out the king's delicacies. He ate this kind of a real basic stripped-down diet. So maybe that might be something that someone would do, you know. For, for this period, I'm just going to eat a, a cut-back amount of food, you know, eating kale chips, maybe something like that, I don't know. Vegetables, fruits, juicing, something like that, where you're not eating really substantive food. It is a sacrifice, but you're still cutting out food out of your life. What about abstaining fasting from something else? Can there be some other type of activity? I think there can be. I think the, the focus mostly is on food. But if there are other things in someone's life that really would be a sacrifice for them to give over, I think that's a means of fasting as well. Sometimes folks will give over watching TV, giving over how much time they spend on their electronic devices. And that can be a real sense of a fast. I remember at one church I served at, we held a fast there church-wide, and uh, two of the ladies came back afterward with testimonies about how the fast had blessed them. One of the ladies said, you know, just being honest, every night after dinner I watch a couple hours of TV. And so for that time, I think it was a week time, she just cut off the TV. She spent that time uh, reading her Bible, praying, listening to songs. She was so blessed by cutting that out and putting the focus on God. Another lady said she just loved to surf the Internet. Well, she did the same thing. She cut all that time out and gave it to the Lord, and they were greatly blessed in their fast. So that can be a real blessing for someone, maybe who this is new for, and they're scared to death of the thought of going a day without food, but you could start here and see the promises of God and how they apply to fasting. And of course, if you have any kind of medical condition, that would obviously be wise to do as well. So, all that said, on a final note, I want to remind everybody that we're having a day of prayer and fasting. 
this Thursday at 6.30. We're going to meet together here. You can obviously pray and fast throughout the day. But it's always nice, I believe, as a church to come together and kind of close out the day with praying together and enjoying, maybe even sharing testimonies about what the Lord has done. So this Thursday, really want to invite everybody to come alongside of us and join and pray and fasting. You have things going on in your lives. Certainly encourage you to pray and fast about those things, to remember some of the things we spoke of here today about maybe there's hurts, pains in your life that you've never given over to the Lord. Maybe you'd like to see the Lord bring healing and deliverance over those things. Maybe there's sins that you're struggling with and continue just to kind of be stalemated. Perhaps fasting might be what you need to break through. And we also mentioned last week, and again this week you'll see that little green insert about discipleship essentials that are in your bulletin there covering this past sermon series we did. would like to really focus on that. How can we grow in practical ways in these key areas of discipleship? So, those were three main questions that people have. Let me have a word of prayer, and then I'll open the floor in case maybe there's other questions that people might have. Because I want us to be on the same page as we pray and fast this week. If there's any questions you might have, maybe any comments or things you'd like to share with the church here before we celebrate the Lord's Supper in a few moments. So let me pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We do thank you that it is so powerful, God. It is truly a two-edged sword. And we pray as we have heard about fasting and prayer. Lord, my prayer is that you'd speak to every heart and mind today. May we not neglect what you have given as such a powerful tool in the believer's life. And Lord, I pray for this upcoming week that it might be a time when things are given over to you in a fresh way and we experience true spiritual renewal. Some of those things that have hurt us in the past, maybe a trial that we're going through right now. Lord, may we turn them over to you Lord, maybe where there's a sin that is dominating our lives, where we're frustrated and not seeing growth, that, Lord, you might indeed help us to see the severity of that sin and walk in greater holiness and truth. And, Lord, we all have different needs, different requests, things that we'd love to see happen in our lives, things that we've been praying for maybe days or months or years, Lord, we give this week to you, God, and we look forward to what you'll do as we humble ourselves and pray and fast to have our own testimonies about what you will do when God's people humble themselves. We trust your promises, Lord God. And so we pray, God, you would use this week. Pray for this day in particular, Lord Jesus. Use it in a mighty way to bring you na your name, glory, and honor. We ask all of this in that name. And all God's people said, Amen.